Section six of Montcalm and Wolfe by Francis Parkman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three, part one, seventeen forty nine to seventeen fifty three. Conflict for the West. The Iroquois, or Five Nations, sometimes called Six Nations after the Tuscaroras joined them, had been a power of high importance in American international politics. In a certain sense, they may be said to have held the balance between their French and English neighbors, but their relative influence had of late declined. So many of them had emigrated and joined the tribes of the Ohio that the center of Indian population had passed to that region. Nevertheless, the five nations were still strong enough in their ancient abodes to make their alliance an object of the utmost consequence to both the European rivals. At the western end of their longhouse, or belt of confederated villages, Jonquere intrigued to gain them for France, while in the east he was counteracted by the young colonel of militia William Johnson, who lived on the Mohawk, and was already well skilled in managing Indians. Johnson sometimes lost his temper, and once wrote to Governor Clinton to complain of the confounded wicked things the French had infused into the Indians' heads, among the rest that the English were determined, the first opportunity, to destroy them all. I assure your excellency I had hard work to beat these and several other cursed villainous things told them by the French out of their heads. In former times the French had hoped to win over the five nations in a body by wholesale conversion to the faith, but the attempt had failed. They had, however, made within their own limits an asylum for such converts as they could gain, whom they collected together at Caughnawaga, near Montreal, to the number of about three hundred warriors. These could not be trusted to fight their kinsmen, but willingly made forays against the English borders. Caughnawaga, like various other Canadian missions, was divided between the church the army, and the fur trade. It had a chapel, fortifications, and storehouses, two Jesuits, an officer, and three chief traders. Of these last, two were maiden ladies, the Demoiselles de Saunières, and one of the Jesuits, their friend Father Tournois, was their partner in business. They carried on by means of the Mission Indians, and in collusion with influential persons in the colony, a trade with the Dutch at Albany, illegal but very profitable. Besides this Iroquois mission, which was chiefly composed of Mohawks and Oneidas, another was now begun farther westward to win over the Onondagas, Cayugas, and Senecas, this was the establishment of Father Piquet, which Celeron had visited in its infancy when on his way to the Ohio, and again on his return. P. 
Piquet was a man in the prime of life of an alert, vivacious countenance, by no means unprepossessing, an enthusiastic schemer with great executive talents, ardent, energetic, vain, self-confident, and boastful. The enterprise seems to have been of his own devising, but it found warm approval from the government. La Presentation, as he called the new mission, stood on the bank of the river Oswegachi, where it enters the St. Lawrence. Here the rapids ceased, and navigation was free to Lake Ontario. The place commanded the main river, and could bar the way to hostile war parties or contraband traders. Rich meadows, forests, and abundance of fish and game made it attractive to Indians, and the Ozugachi gave access to the Iroquois towns. Piquet had chosen his site with great skill. His activity was admirable. His first stockade was burned by Indian incendiaries, but it rose quickly from its ashes, and within a year or two the mission of La Presentation had a fort of palisades flanked with blockhouses, a chapel, a storehouse, a barn, a stable, ovens, a sawmill, broad fields of corn and beans, and three villages of Iroquois, containing in all forty-nine bark lodges, each holding three or four families, more or less converted to the faith, and as time went on, this number increased. The governor had sent a squad of soldiers to man the fort, and five small cannon to mount upon it. The place was as safe for the new proselytes as it was convenient and agreeable. The Pennsylvanian interpreter, Conrad Weiser, was told at Onondaga, the Iroquois capital, that Piquet had made a hundred converts from that place alone, and having clothed them all in very fine clothes, laced with silver and gold, he took them down and presented them to the French governor at Montreal, who received them very kindly and made them large presents. Such were some of the temporal attractions of La Presentation. The nature of the spiritual instruction bestowed by Piquet and his fellow priests may be partly inferred from the words of a proselyte warrior, who declared with enthusiasm that he had learned from the Sulpician ministry that the King of France was the eldest son of the wife of Jesus Christ. This he, of course, took in a literal sense, the mystic idea of the church as the spouse of Christ being beyond his savage comprehension. The effect was to stimulate his devotion to the great Onontio beyond the sea, and to the lesser Onontio who represented him as governor of Canada. Piquet was elated by his success, and early in 1752 he wrote to the governor and intendant, It is a great miracle that, in spite of envy, contradiction, and opposition from nearly all the Indian villages, I have formed in less than three years 
one of the most flourishing missions in Canada, I find myself in a position to extend the empire of my good masters, Jesus Christ and the King, even to the extremities of this new world, and with some little help from you to do more than France and England have been able to do with millions of money and all their troops. The letter from which this is taken was written to urge upon the government a scheme in which the zealous priest could see nothing impracticable. He proposed to raise a war party of 3,800 Indians, 1,800 of whom were to be drawn from the Canadian missions, the Five Nations, and the tribes of the Ohio, while the remaining 2,000 were to be furnished by the Flatheads, or Choctaws, who were at the same time to be supplied with missionaries. The united force was first to drive the English from the Ohio, and next attack the Dog Tribe, or Cherokees, who lived near the borders of Virginia, with the people of which they were on friendly terms. If, says Piquet, the English of Virginia give any help to this last-named tribe, which will not fail to happen, they, the war party, will do their utmost against them, though a grudge they bear them by reason of some old quarrels. In other words, the missionary hopes to set a host of savages to butchering English settlers in time of peace. His wild project never took effect, though the governor, he says, at first approved it. In the preceding year, the Apostle of the Iroquois, as he was called, made a journey to muster recruits for his mission, and kept a copious diary on the way. By accompanying him, one gets a clear view of an important part of the region in dispute between the rival nations. Six Canadians paddled him up the St. Lawrence, and five Indian converts followed in another canoe. Emerging from among the Thousand Islands, they stopped at Fort Frontenac, where Kingston now stands. Once the place was a great resort of Indians. Now none were here, for the English post of Oswego, on the other side of the lake, had greater attractions. Piquet and his company found the pork and bacon very bad, and he complains that there was not enough brandy in the fort to wash a wound. They crossed to a neighboring island, where they were soon visited by the chaplain of the fort, the storekeeper, his wife, and three young ladies, glad of an excursion to relieve the monotony of the garrison. My hunters, says P.K., had supplied me with the means of giving them a pretty good entertainment. We drank, with all our hearts, the health of the authorities, temporal and ecclesiastical, to the sound of our musketry, which was very well fired, and delighted the islanders. These islanders were a band of Indians who lived here. Piquet gave them a feast, then discoursed of religion, and at last persuaded them to remove to the new mission. During eight days, 
he and his party coasted the northern shore of lake ontario with various incidents such as an encounter between his dog cerberus and a wolf to the disadvantage of the latter and the meeting with a very fine negro of twenty-two years a fugitive from virginia on the twenty-sixth of june they reached the new fort of toronto which offered a striking contrast to their last stopping-place the wine here is of the best there is nothing wanting in this fort everything is abundant fine and good there was reason for this the northern indians were flocking with their beaver skins to the english of oswego and in april seventeen forty nine an officer named portneuf had been sent with soldiers and workmen to build a stockaded trading-house at toronto in order to intercept them not by force which would have been ruinous to french interests but by a tempting supply of goods and brandy thus the fort was kept well stocked and with excellent effect piquet found here a band of mississagas who would otherwise no doubt have carried their furs to the english he was strongly impelled to persuade them to migrate to la presentation but the governor had told him to confine his efforts to other tribes and lest he says the ardor of his zeal should betray him to disobedience he re-embarked and encamped six leagues from temptation two more days brought him to niagara where he was warmly received by the commandant the chaplain and the storekeeper the triumvirate who ruled these forest outposts and stood respectively for then three vital principles war religion and trade here piquet said mass and after resting a day set out for the trading-house at the portage of the cataract recently built like toronto to stop the indians on their way to oswego here he found Jonquere, and here also was encamped a large band of Senecas, though being all drunk, men, women, and children, they were in no condition to receive the faith, or appreciate the temporal advantages that attended it. On the next morning, finding them partially sober, he invited them to remove to La Presentation, but as they had still something left in their bottles i could get no answer till the following day i pass in silence pursues the missionary an affinity of talks on this occasion monsieur de joncaire forgot nothing that could help me and behaved like a great servant of god and the king my recruits increased every moment i went to say my breviary while my indians and the senecas without loss of time assembled to hold a council with monsieur le joncaire the result of the council was an entreaty to the missionary not to stop at oswego lest evil should befall him at the hands of the english he promised to do as they wished 
and presently set out on his return to Fort Niagara, attended by Jonquere and a troop of his new followers. The journey was a triumphal progress. Whenever was passed a camp or a wigwam, the Indians saluted me by firing their guns, which happened so often that I thought all the trees along the way were charged with gunpowder. And when we reached the fort, Monsieur de Becancourt received us with great ceremony and the firing of cannon, by which my savages were infinitely flattered. His neophytes were gathered into the chapel for the first time in their lives, and there rewarded with a few presents. He now prepared to turn homeward, his flock at the mission being left in his absence without a shepherd, and on the 6th of July he embarked, followed by a swarm of canoes. On the 12th they stopped at the Genesee and went to visit the falls, where the city of Rochester now stands. On the way, the Indians found a populous resort of rattlesnakes, and attacked the gregarious reptiles with great animation, to the alarm of the missionary, who trembled for his bare-legged retainers. His fears proved needless. Forty-two dead snakes, as he avers, requited the efforts of the sportsmen, and not one of them was bitten. When he returned to camp in the afternoon, he found there a canoe loaded with kegs of brandy. The English, he says, had sent it to meet us, well knowing that this was the best way to cause disorder among my new recruits and make them desert me. The Indian in charge of the canoe, who had the look of a great rascal, offered some to me first, and then to my Canadians and Indians. I gave out that it was very probably poisoned, and immediately embarked again. He encamped on the 14th at Sodus Bay, and strongly advises the planting of a French fort there. Nevertheless, he adds, it would be still better to destroy Oswego, and on no account let the English build it again. On the 16th he came in sight of this dreaded post. Several times on the way he had met fleets of canoes going thither or returning, in spite of the rival attractions of Toronto and Niagara. No English establishment on the continent was of such ill omen to the French. It not only robbed them of the fur trade by which they lived, but threatened them with military and political no less than commercial ruin. They were in constant dread lest ships of war should be built here, strong enough to command Lake Ontario, thus separating Canada from Louisiana and cutting New France asunder. To meet this danger, they soon after built at Fort Frontenac a large three-masted vessel mounted with heavy cannon, thus, as usual, forestalling their rivals by promptness of action. The ground on which Oswego stood was claimed by the province of New York, which alone had control of it, but through the purblind apathy of the assembly, 
and their incessant quarrels with the governor, it was commonly left to take care of itself. For some time they would vote no money to pay the feeble little garrison, and Clinton, who saw the necessity of maintaining it, was forced to do so on his own personal credit. Why can't your governor and your great men, the assembly, agree? asked Mohawk chief of the interpreter, Conrad Weezer. P.K. kept his promise not to land at the English fort, but he approached in his canoe and closely observed it. The shores, now covered by the city of Oswego, were then a desolation of bare hills and fields, studded with the stumps of felled trees and hedged about with a grim border of forests. Near the strand, by the mouth of the Onondaga, were the houses of some of the traders, and on the higher ground behind them stood a huge blockhouse with a projecting upper story. This building was surrounded by a rough wall of stone, with flankers at the angles, forming what was called the fort. Piquet reconnoitred it from his canoe with the eye of a soldier. It is commanded, he says, on almost every side, Two batteries of three twelve-pounders each would be more than enough to reduce it to ashes, and he enlarges on the evils that arise from it. It not only spoils our trade, but puts the English into communication with a vast number of our Indians, far and near. It is true that they like our brandy better than English rum, but they prefer English goods to ours, and can buy for two beaver skins at Oswego a better silver bracelet than we sell at Niagara for ten. The burden of these reflections was lightened when he approached Fort Frontenac. Never was reception more solemn. The Nipissings and Algonquins, who were going on a war party with Monsieur Belletre, formed a line of their own accord and saluted us with three volleys of musketry and cries of joy without end all our little bark vessels replied in the same way monsieur de vercherche and monsieur de valtry ordered the cannon of the fort to be fired and my indians transported with joy at the honor done them shot off their guns incessantly with cries and acclamations that delighted everybody. A goodly band of recruits joined him, and he pursued his voyage to La Presentation, while the canoes of his proselytes followed him in a swarm to their new home. That establishment, thus in a burst of enthusiasm, he closes his journal. That establishment which I began two years ago, in the midst of opposition, that establishment which may be regarded as a key of the colony, that establishment which officers, interpreters, and traders thought a chimera, that establishment, I say, forms already a mission of Iroquois savages, whom I assembled at first to the number of only six, increased last year to eighty-seven, and this year to three hundred and ninety-six, 
without counting more than a hundred and fifty whom monsieur chabert de joncaire is to bring me this autumn and i certify that thus far i have received from his majesty for all favour grace and assistance no more than a half pound of bacon and two pounds of bread for daily rations and that he has not yet given a pin to the chapel which i have maintained out of my own pocket for the greater glory of my masters god and the king End of section six.